Start and end your day with the good news. The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news. Hello, it is Angie Austin and friends with the good news. We have Michelle, we have Beatrice, we also have Cindy and Monique and producer Dave. And uh, we, we were talking before we started the show just about a lot of people think that when you become a born-again Christian, it's like unicorns and rainbows. And I remember speaking with uh, a musician turned pastor who said that, you know, that's not the way it was when he became a Christian. It wasn't unicorns and rainbows and uh, uh, that life isn't any easier as a Christian. I think that's why we do the good news. We just want people to have hope and to know that, you know, that the Lord is there during these difficult times and sometimes things seem dark, but there is hope out there and that we're there for each other as well when we go through difficult times. Uh, we wanted to share a good news story with you, and uh, we've got a story. Hi, ladies. Hi, Hi Angie. And, you know, Beatrice, I know you've gone through a lot with loss lately, and we have a, a mutual friend, Anne Marie, who passed away in her late 40s just this week. She had a stroke, and she'd been mm. on the show, and I was so struck by her overwhelming love and putting others first. She didn't mm. have children, but she really reached out to young people and really touched a lot of young people's hearts. So when I saw a posting about a death in her family, I thought that maybe it was her husband, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it was her mm. in her 40s that just really kind of took me aback, and that kind of set my tone this week of sadness of a lot of the good ones that are, you know, taken young, mm -hmm. and uh, her service is coming up, and she seemed to be connected to so many of my Christian girlfriends just through her loving nature and her giving spirit, and, you know, I've interviewed hundreds of people, but her interview really stuck with me because I could sense the love that she gave to others and how she put other people first. And her husband had posted how when he came in the house, how lonely he was and that he could smell her perfume in the house and, you know, posted about his grief and already feeling lonely and missing her. And then so many of us in our circle reaching out to him mm -hmm. because we felt so much love from her as well. Amen. And, you know, it's hard. We can't say today or tomorrow that we're going to be here. We just can't because so many things are happening in the world. But be of good courage and be, be of good cheer because Jesus is. And, you know, if I can give anybody any hope, Jesus is. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our only hope is eternal life with God after we leave this life. And, yes, it's hard. Yes, it, we, we grieve for people that we see passing on before us uh, unto the Lord, hopefully. But we have to have that hope in our hearts that one day we're going to be able to spend eternity with God. And so my heart goes out to people who are experiencing grief and, and trauma and, and death of, of family members right now. It's hard, y'all. It really is. But you know what? Jesus is. I remember when I lost my grandmother and I was I wasn't angry with God, but I was I had many conversations with him and I questioned God, mm -hmm. like, why would you take her? Because I felt robbed. I was um, so young, and I was just like, that was my mother. I Like, I didn't have time. And it was so crazy because How my... How old were you when she passed away? Um, I was in my early... My, I was in my mid-20s. Mm. Okay. 
when my grandmother passed away. So I was, that was my mother. And then eight months before her, my biological mother passed away. So, you know, people passed, but you feel like, you know, I still have my mother, so Mm -hmm. I'm good. But when your mother goes, it's, it's, it's a whole different ball game. It's all entirely different ball game and I remember I was like God you know why would you take her she is such a good woman like my grandmother you talking about a prayer warrior Mm -hmm. Christian like she lived what she taught and and I remember God saying to me one day he didn't answer me right away and he said to me one day he said I took her because she was ready He said, and I have to give other people a chance to get ready and get prepared. Because I was just, like, looking at people like, that person, like, they are evil. Take them. (laughs) Like, why would you take my grandmother? (laughs) She, like, and God was just like, I took her because she was ready and prepared. I'm trying to give them a chance. Amen. I'm trying to give them a chance. So, and I remember my grandmother, before she passed, she knew every emotion I was going to experience. She addressed it. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, when you feel cheated, thank God for the good time, the time that we did have together. Because there was many people who didn't have that same time. Mm -hmm. And even like, she gave me this Bible I don't know if I ever told you guys this, and it took me a long time to open it up because when I grieved, like, I grieved hard. And so I couldn't open the Bible. I didn't understand why she gave it to me. But when I finally did open the Bible about three years ago, wow, the stuff that she wrote in that Bible, I it was right on time, Amen. right on time. Wow. Because I was in the midst of... Um, what I call going through my valley, I was going, God was taking me back through all of the things that I was holding on to for me to let them go. And I found that Bible. I mean, I, I knew where it was, but I, I finally opened it one wow. day. And the stuff that she had written really in that Bible to me, like she knew everything I, wow. I was going to go through. She told me, she said, I know you are going to take it take my death the hardest Mm -hmm. and she gave me that Bible and I was just like I was floored I ran to Andre and I was like he was in the basement and I said Andre I cannot believe what my grandmother wrote in this Bible for me she wrote prayers for she would write prayer for protection over scripture um pray this when you go through this pray this when you go through and the stuff that she wrote I was just like I couldn't do nothing but say thank you, God. You got to make a book out of what she wrote. <laughs> I will one day. I will. Wow. I have so, but I have so much stuff like that from my grandmother that she gave me because she would write everything. She would just write, 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 write. And she gave me that Bible. And it's just, it's so much stuff. It's just, it's unbelievable. And even like um, she told me, when you feel like you need me the most, look within yourself. And before I open, but I didn't understand what she was saying. And some days I would look in my shirt and be like, <laughs> Grandma, I don't see you. <laughs> like, I don't see you. But I, I finally just one day, I finally got it. And I was just like, Monique, you can do this. 
you you have this and she would always tell me when you when I would she would be like Monique because when I would be like grandma I'm done I can't she would be like Monique tie another knot and hang on All right, and yeah. the other day I heard her I tell like me tie another the knot. other day <laughs> I heard her that's good I heard her voice tell me that she said because I was sitting on the side of my bed and I was like Lord you are going I just need to he really hear from you clearly mm-hmm. and my grandmother I was like cuz I I'm I don't know if I can do this and my grandmother I heard her say tie another knot and hang on <laughs> and I started laughing and Andre was like what I said I just heard my grandmother say tie another knot and hang on <laughs> Amen. Amen. and you know you you bring up so many points about your Ooh, grandmother goodness. your grandmother had a true relationship with God yeah and see yeah. when we see people that's fearful, afraid of, of, of something that's going to happen to their families and, and stuff like that is because they don't really have a relationship with yeah. God. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or, because, it, or they're not pursuing it in a way that's strengthening it. Exactly. Because the Word of God says um, that God has not given us the spirit of fear, Amen. but of power yeah. and of love and of a sound mind. mind. Yeah. And we've got to have that relationship with God because I, I look at my kids. I, I have a grandson and, and bonus grandchildren all the way in Kentucky. I can't just sit and say, oh, Lord, what if something happened to my children? Right, bubble you know? wrap these kids. Exactly. Yeah. I've got to say, well, God, they're in your hands, and, and keep moving. You know, just like you do, Monique, with, with Andre. God, he's in your hands, and keep moving. And even my days where I have, like, where the devil be like, well, what if? Mm-hmm. I give him a, I, I, I combat it with a scripture. That's it. I'll be like, you got the wrong That's one. That's <laughs> right. I want to I add to what you're saying, Beatrice. Um You know, I have a relationship with God, but there's pockets in my life Mm -hmm. that I have fear in. Mm -hmm. And I'm learning. I mean, I'm walking through a time right now in my life where in these pockets, I'm learning to turn that over to God and not live in fear and not live in anxiety. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm learning to give those over. And I think that's what God's teaching me now. Amen. And uh, it's so true, not like I don't have the relationship with God, but in mm-hmm. those areas, they're, you know, I'm giving up control. Amen. And in those times where I, I just tell God, Lord, if this is my cross to bear, um, send somebody when, from the crowd when, it's, when I need help. That's right. That's right. <laughs> help me to drag it at times. Yeah. That's right. And sometimes I'm going to be able to carry it. Yeah, to pick up your cross daily but and follow him. Sometimes you need a, a little help point. to pick it up. And sometimes Jesus drugged that cross. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he carried it. Mm-hmm. And God sent somebody from the crowd to help him. Amen. But in those times, that's where I say, God, give me strength to go through the things that you are allowing. Because even though sometimes we're like, okay, the devil is busy, but we gotta think when 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 the the devil tested Job, he had to get permission from God. That's right. And God was like, I know he ain't gonna turn on me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, God, if this one of them times, you better give me strength to go through this. <laughs> you know, some of the things we share on the show are our own testimonies. And that's one thing I really have a heart for sharing with people is testimonies. 
And I think that when people hear them, sometimes they get some hope. Like I was not really having a great day when I came in here, and it's been good for me to be around my Christian friends because you do have people in the crowd, that we aren't on an island, that we are there for each other. And this uh, particular I Am Second testimony is an, a gymnast, Sean Johnson. And sometimes I'm a little bit surprised by some of the people on this Christian website, I Am Second, that give their testimonies. I didn't even know Sean Johnson was a Christian. And she uh, was in the 2008 Olympics. She was a balance beam gold medalist and all around and floor exercise silver medalist. And you may even remember Sean Johnson on Dancing with the Stars. She's this tiny, cute little mm, gymnast. And you mm. think, wow, she's got everything going for her. And then we hear some of these testimonies and you're a little taken aback. You know, she's young. She was born in 1992. And so she is one of the um, testimonies we grabbed off of I Am Second. We might stop it in the middle. It's about seven minutes long. And we hope that it touches your heart and you get some hope from this story today from Sean Johnson. I can remember every detail about Beijing. The smell, the lights, the crowd. I remember Nasty Lupin go up and compete and give a beautiful routine. And I remember looking at her score and it was a, it was one point higher than the highest score I had conjured up in my mind that it was impossible for me to get a gold medal. I remember my heart just sinking. The entire world is being told. Do I even go out and compete? Do I just throw it? I remember thinking, well, if, if you can't win the gold medal, at least prove to the world that you deserved it and starting my routine and giving the best routine of my entire life. I'd never felt lighter in my life. I felt like I was on top of the world. I remember seeing 50,000 people on their feet giving me a standing ovation. I told everybody it was the biggest honor of my life, but really kind of crushed my heart. I remember being given the silver medal on the podium. The person who did it gave me a hug and told me, he said, I'm sorry. And I remember that being really strange for me because it's kind of like I was being given a silver medal at the Olympic Games and being told I'm sorry. So it was kind of like a validation in my heart that I had failed. I got two more silver after that, then finally got a gold. But it was like, once I got the gold, I, it didn't matter, but like, I felt like the damage was done. I would go to school every day and every single person would be asking about gymnastics or watching me on TV or reading an interview. I, every news article in the entire world said that I was gonna come home with four Olympic gold medals and I'd given 200% that day in competition and laid it out on the floor, but I felt like I had failed the world. I felt like since the world saw me as nothing else, then if I failed at being a gymnast, I failed at being a human being. I was 16 years old, living in a fishbowl. You know, every single person and their mother was applauding and congratulating me and also critiquing me because I was on a world stage. It was now about what I wore and how I looked. I was growing up in the limelight. I was 16 years old and, you know, a, a muscular gymnast, and I was not even four, eight. And I was dancing next to girls who were, you know, 
supermodels. And I remember at, at 16, 17, from Dancing with the Stars, reading all of these blogs and reading newspaper articles and seeing headlines of people criticize my weight and my appearance and, you know, my personality and my character. And it affected me immensely. It drove me to, to try to change everything about myself. Trying to act like someone you aren't and trying to look like someone you will never be um, is exhausting and draining. And, you know, feeling like the world doesn't accept you for who you are, kind of, it, it hurts your heart. I feel like when all of that kind of compiled into to one big moment and it was this 2012 comeback and I had all these sponsors and I think around six months before the actual Olympic trials, I was hitting probably my all-time low. I was spending probably over 40 hours a week training. I was constantly trying to lose weight, but it wasn't happening. My parents wanted me to go see a psychologist or go see a doctor because they thought I was like clinically depressed. Um, I, I remember I was like losing hair. I wasn't able to sleep. I wasn't eating properly. I was struggling with, I wasn't 16 any longer. And so for months, I just, I just pushed myself in practice. And I said, you know, it's, if this is what will make the sponsors happy and my parents happy and my coach happy and the team and the USA national team happy. And if this is what is right for everybody, then this is what's right for me. I can just push through it. And, you know, day after day, come home from practice, just bawling and bawling and not having any outlet of peace. I remember walking into practice one day, uh, getting up on the beam and like standing at the edge of the beam, looking down, getting ready to start flipping. And it's one of those moments that's really hard to explain and really hard for, I, I feel like a lot of people to understand. But in that one moment, I felt like God was telling me, you know, you've, you've been so distraught over this decision. and been putting yourself through all of this and your family through all of this and you've been afraid of disappointing a lot of people and you know not been yourself but it's okay to to follow your heart and to to put it behind you in that instant i felt the entire world was like be lifted off my shoulders and it was like in that one instant i knew it was all going to be okay I was, I was giving my heart and soul and getting to a place that I was not proud of, all for that gold medal again, that I distinctly remember in 2008, not being the greatest thing in the world. And I think it's just kind of that validation that there's always more. God is the answer to everything. And Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross so that when I stood up there and I was given that gold medal. Yes, it's a monumental and amazing experience and wonderful thing, but it's not the end all be all. Yes, I can work my whole life to become the CEO of a company or to make a certain amount of money or to win 12 more Olympic gold medals, but it's not the purpose in life. And he will always be my greatest reward and my proudest reward.
My name is Sean Johnson, and I am second. Isn't that amazing when you think somebody has everything going for them and you're just shocked that they even go through these things? So I think I just hope you listening because I know we sitting here, you know, the good news gals, we can relate to a lot of these stories. So I hope you find hope in them as well. We'll be right back. The good news of Jesus for you in high definition radio and streaming at 670kltt.com. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver. Come to any of the YMCA of the Rockies locations to fill your days and nights with our exciting and educational programs and activities. At the YMCA of the Rockies, we put Christian principles into practice with our fun and informative programs. And our facilities are located in stunning environments that help build healthy minds, bodies, and spirits for all. At the YMCA of the Rockies, we love to provide real bonding experiences for families of all sizes. We also provide conferences of a religious, educational, or recreational nature. And we specialize in offering traditional summer camping experiences for boys and girls. At the YMCA of the Rockies, every season brings affordable fun and excitement for the entire family. YMCA of the Rockies has locations near Winter Park, Rocky Mountain National Park, and Grand Lake. Go to ymcaoftherockies.org. Whether you are looking for adventure, a better way to connect with your family, or just a relaxing stroll, we can set you on your way. That's ymcaoftherockies.org. Welcome back. Well, last week, Pastor Kurt Bubna from East Point Church in Spokane, Washington, joined us. And uh, we've talked about his book on marriage, uh, how to rekindle marriage and get it back on track, and his book, Epic Grace. But he mentioned his blog on going to Rwanda, and he'd written a blog about uh, uh, called Out of Africa and Four Lessons I Learned. So, Kurt, welcome back. Thanks, Angie. It's always great to be with you and your listeners. Well, when you brought this trip up, I thought we've got to have you back to talk about this. We can't let this opportunity pass. So talk about why you went there, how the trip came about. And then I want to get into the lessons, of course. But how does one go on a trip and get involved with, uh, you know, a a missions trip to Rwanda? Well, I uh, have the privilege of working with Saddleback and what they call the Peace Initiative. And Saddleback Church and Rick Warren has been very involved for over 10 years in Rwanda, in Africa. And uh, that a lot of people don't know this. Rick has dual citizenship and he's on the president's cabinet, the president of Rwanda. So he's had huge influence. And they, uh, they've they literally changed the face of that country. The, the Christians there, the church there has been wow. so united. A lot of people remember, especially if they're my age, back 1994, the genocide that happened where over 1.3 million people were killed, brutally killed. Yeah. Uh, and that was, again, quite a while ago. But since then, uh, God has just done a miracle in that that country. It's one of the safest uh, countries in the continent of Africa. Uh, one of the, it's, they, they will not tolerate corruption. Uh, they're one of the fastest growing com- uh, nations in, on the continent. Uh, still a lot of poverty, still a lot of brokenness. But the church, and this is the thing it just and totally, and it's my first time there. I've been all over the world, but my first time to Africa. And the church there. I mean, I was with Anglican and Baptist and Methodist and Pentecostals. I was there with with a wide variety of the the church, and they are working together to change that country. And I was just privileged to go to uh, be a part of the All-African Pastors Gathering and to meet these guys to learn how we can help support um, uh, some other churches in the region. 
Okay, so to recap, you were invited to be part of this all-African pastors gathering in Rwanda, and uh, very excited about that. And then you go on to say that Africa did not disappoint. So let's talk about, uh, you know, getting there, arriving there, what you did, and then I want to find about the uh, find out about the lessons you learned. <laughs> getting there is the hard part. Uh, from my home, it was thirty hours from airport to airport. Wow. Um, I had uh, a, quite a trip. Um, but once I got off the plane in Rwanda, uh, I, instantly I just I, I was amazed. I was blown away by the people. Uh, the average family in Rwanda, again, a lot of poverty there still. Uh, they're improving, but uh, they typically have four or five kids. And the uh, length, the um, most people live, their life expectancy is about 55. So yeah. it's a very young nation, very young children everywhere. Yeah. So the first thing you run into is kids. And I, you know, I love kids. I'm, I'm a grandpa, eight grandchildren, four children of my own. And I, I'm just a kid magnet. I love them. And uh, the children are everywhere, and they just fascinated me. Their joy. They're, these are kids that have. I mean, I watch kids. It, you've seen the programs. You see, you know, but these kids play with rocks. They play with sticks. They play with old tires, and they just have the smiles from ear to ear. They just rob your heart. They steal your heart, and they love Jesus. You know, many of these children again have been greatly influenced by the church, and they have this amazing relationship with God. So that was the first thing that struck me: is the kids. I loved mm-hmm. them. Kids at having so little. Uh, including even their clothing, you know, very little of anything and having such joy. I I think that's an interesting situation because we think of our own children who complain when they don't get a treat after dinner or they don't get to go to an expensive, you know, um, trampoline jumping place or maybe even do a sport that is like, whoa, hockey and swimming and soccer. That's a lot of equipment to have to buy. Like a lot of parents can't afford this stuff. And our kids complain about the smallest things. And then you see these kids with so little filled with so much joy. I wonder why they're so joyful. You know, I, my suspicion is and Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6, that, uh, you know, we shouldn't worry about life that we need to put the kingdom first. And these are people that they don't have a lot to worry about. Uh, one of the lessons I learned is that, you know, I reminded um, in the context of what I saw there that we need, we need to embrace simplicity. You know, more stuff doesn't autom- automatically make you happier. It, it doesn't. In fact, an old pastor friend of mine who's gone to be with Jesus several years ago, he used to say, the more you have, the more you worry. Uh, yeah. And True. I think he was right. And again, I, you know, I grew up uh, around missionaries. I went to, I was grew up in a Christian Missionary Alliance church. Uh, I, I've been, I have more missionaries in my family than most people have family. And I used to, as a kid, I remember sitting there listening to the missionaries come through and they do their, what felt like about a nine hour slideshow. And I was bored to tears. And, and I remember always feeling guilty that I had a bike and that I had two pairs of shoes and these kids didn't have any and that I got to eat ice cream and they didn't have, you know, rice. And I, I don't, by no means want, you know, anybody listening to this to feel guilty or shamed because of what they have. But I do think we need a different perspective. I think we need to understand that what we have is not the key to happiness, never has really been, never will be. And that's the mistake a lot of Americans, a lot of Westerners make, is that we think more stuff makes us happy. Uh, you know what? It doesn't. I'm 59 years old. I can guarantee you it doesn't. The more you have, the more you worry. And so that was one of the great lessons I learned. So these kids, they, they, uh, they really are. I, you want to joy. You go to my website, look at the, the pictures I have. Some of the kids, the, the joy on their face is unmistakable. 
And I saw that in hundreds and hundreds of children and family all over the, the country. Well, I'm looking at one of the pictures right now, and I agree with you. I can see that in their eyes, their face, their smiles. But also there's a picture of a boy working really hard, lifting a lot of branches that are tied together over his head. So uh, apparently responsibilities, I understand, for uh, children in Africa and R- Rwanda, specifically where you were, where they're expected to do and perform some adult activity. Like they're really supposed to pull the pull their own weight. Yeah, everybody's engaged. Uh, and it, it, the amazing thing, as I said, typically the families have four or five children. Uh, it's the older children that care for the younger children. Interesting. Uh, and often because, you know, mom and dad are working or they're trying to, I mean, just making a meal. Um, the, what the picture you're referring to is that uh, Rwanda is a beautiful country. And part of the reason for that is it's against the law to cut down trees. You know, I've been to India and Nepal, and they've been completely deforested. Interesting. Um, and so that's illegal to cut trees down. So what they do is they look for branches or they look for, uh, I think what he's carrying is probably some bamboo, but they look for anything they can because they have to make a fire to cook their food every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was, it's wow. rare, rare for the villagers don't have, you know, propane or gas or electricity. Uh, so it's it, but every, yeah, everybody in the family contributes because they have to for survival. But they grow up with that. They they work very hard. They have a high work ethic. Well, again, if you're just uh, joining us, uh, Pastor Kurt Bubna uh, joined us last week to talk about Good Friday, and uh, he's a recurring guest. And he went to Rwanda, and so we're talking about the four lessons he learned. So let's keep on rolling. Well, another one, and this is something. My trip there, I mentioned, it's thirty hours from airport to airport. It was one. You know, horrible. <laughs> I was supposed to have 50 minutes in Amsterdam to catch my next flight. I ended up having 25. Oh, boy. Uh, Amsterdam's a huge airport. They closed the gate 15 minutes before the next plane oh. leaves. So I had 10 minutes. Wow. I'm one of those guys you see jumping over children and suitcases, running through the airport, trying to get to the gate. Oh, my Got goodness. to the gate just as the guy closed the door. And I went up to him. And the Danish people... Um, Let's just say that they, they don't have a fond relationship with most Americans. Oh, okay. And so <laughs> I, I walk up to this guy and I go, dude, you know, and that's exactly what I said. Dude, you got to let me on this plane. And he's like, no, I don't. And I said, man, there's only one flight a day. I've been on the plane for already for 20 hours. Please, please. He said, well, your bags won't make it. I said, I don't care. Just get me on there. And he did. And I made it 10 hours later to Rwanda. And I didn't have my bags ready. Four days. <laughs> and I made the wow. rookie mistake of not carrying any extra clothes with me oh, on the plane. No, yes, you I was... never do that. <laughs> I know, it's terrible. So uh, I I was four days uh, in the same set of clothes. And uh, but then some get stressed out. Certainly, the, one of the lessons was, you know what? There's so many things in life that we stress out over that we really don't need to stress out over. Yeah. We we, we need to expect the unexpected and, and not stress out over things that we have no control over. And I don't know why it's taking me so long to figure this out. Again, I'm an old guy, but we have very little control over hardly anything. So expect and, the unexpected. And I might add a sidebar, also plan ahead. I yeah. love, I, you know, it's so funny that you because I do have my kids oftentimes as well, uh, pack clothes in their backpack just in case, because there was only one time in my entire life that I didn't have a suitcase. And I went on spring break in Mexico Uh-oh. and they actually sent my luggage home to my house. So for one week on spring break, I had nothing. And so, yeah. you know, I mean that, so I, 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 I say plan ahead. So, but you learned a very valuable lesson, embrace, em, embrace simplicity as a friend and you were there to help others. So it really didn't matter how great you looked. You might not have smelled so great, but whatever. <laughs> oh, honestly. I just kept rinsing my clothes out. But yeah, you know, we stress out over things. And it it was a great reminder to me. Listen, I'm in a foreign country, far from home. 
there's there are things that I can control, like my attitude, but there are a lot of things I can't control. And the best thing I can do is just say, okay, you know what? I'm here today. I'm breathing today. I've got food today. I've got friends around me today. Uh, I get to be uh, make a difference for hopefully for the kingdom today. And that's all that really matters. So stressing out, and this is again, I I would be the first. My wife, if she was listening to this right now, she'd be smiling because she knows I worry about everything. That's I stress out funny. over stupid little things. And I and it's like God keeps taking me around this mountain over and over and over again. Boob, now how many times are you going to have to go through this before you figure out? Listen, there are, there are things way more important, way more important that that you stress out over stuff that's just not. And that's that was a great lesson. And going into the trip, um, I, from the rest of that point out, once I decided, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to go with the flow. The next eight days were awesome. All right. So then what, what happened? So you say, um, expect the unexpected. That was one of your lessons. So you get there, you get the same clothes. What kinds of things are you doing while you're in Rwanda before you learn these other lessons? Well, we went up to Kivu Lake, which is on the western um, side of the country. It's about three, four hours from Kigali, the capital. Way up in the it's, uh, elevation is pretty high. It's like Denver, about a mile high. Uh, unbelievably gorgeous. Just beautiful, beautiful uh, place. Villagers, though, have nothing. The... Uh, um, a typical person there you know, doesn't even have electricity in their home. Uh, one of the people we visited, she uh, was proud to say that she just recently bought a front door for her home. And wow. you know, so you know, this is just the way they live. But we were there uh, to meet. I, I was there to meet with people to find out how uh, the peace initiative is working there in those villages. Uh, one example, uh, there are very few hospitals in the western part of the, the uh, country. And so the peace initiative has trained almost 5,000 healthcare workers to go from village to village. These are all Christians. Wow. They're not nurses. They're not nurses. They're not doctors, but they're people that have been given some very basic training, skill training. They go into these villages and they give the training to the people there. Like simple things that we take for granted, uh, boil your water, hang your clothes in the sunlight so they can get disinfected. Uh, there's AIDS is still huge, huge issue there. We don't hear about it in America much because it doesn't make the press anymore. But uh, I was set in a group of an age support group at a church, 40 people. I'm going to guess the average age was 25. And uh, every one of them, uh, mothers with babies in their arms, uh, men, uh, women, all have AIDS. And uh, But what's happened is they, they've trained people to go in and help support these people, uh, help them remember to take their medication, uh, teach them what to do, how to do it. So my my job really was to be an observer. I was going there to get an education and then to find out how uh, our church could partner with a church there and serving them and helping them and uh, be a part of the peace initiative in, in Rwanda. Well, and you mentioned too in the article about, um, you know, many of the homes were no more than shacks without air conditioning, without screens, without carpeting. Uh, the people don't have pets. Uh, they might have a goat or something, but that's, you know, for, for milk. Yeah. And uh, you said TV, very rare in these villages, and that they're not driving around in cars. No, no, they, they walk almost everywhere. And I uh, I never saw a dog. That's, uh, you know, again, I've been all over the, the world, and everywhere else I've gone in third world countries, I've seen dogs everywhere. Uh, usually they're scavengers. I see one dog. Uh, I, I did see one cat. I'm not sure if it was wild or not, but uh, yeah, they just don't have a lot of those things. Uh, but what they do have is a love for for Jesus, a love for their family, uh, a love for others, uh, and that's why the church is literally exploding in growth over there. Is because the church has really loved people in His name, and and it was just it was. It's, you see, in the unity. That's another thing. I came back. I thought, you know what? What would happen? If in my town, 
if the church, rather than just the, the pastors, the ministers getting together once a month for a ministerial association meeting, yeah. where, we usually, where we gather at the lowest common denominator trying to make sure that we could play nice, what if we actually did things together? That'd be so cool. That's <laughs> what if a we great idea. Demonstrated to our city that you know what I don't agree with that guy and everything theologically, you know. But so what? Well, in terms of your lessons, you talked about expect the unexpected, and then they don't have much. You said embrace simplicity because the more stuff you have, it doesn't make you happier. And then I love your next lesson: kindness is a universal language. Let's talk about that and why you learned more about that in Rwanda. Well, before going, I tried to download some uh, YouTube videos and to learn a little bit. Kirawanda is the language they speak there. Uh, a lot of the people in the city speak English as well, and some of them speak French. But the villagers, for the most part, it's just Kirawanda. So I tried to learn some phrases, and I butchered them every time. You know, I, I, Every time I'd say something, I think they would giggle because I'm sure I was sounding very American. <laughs> but then it dawned on me, you know what? Um, if I could give these people a hug, if I can look them in the eye and, and they see in my eyes a genuine respect for them. Sometimes we Americans walk in these thermal situations mm -hmm. and we start, we treat people like, you know, they're lower than us. These people are just as valuable to God as I am. Right. And, and maybe more so. Right. And, and if for them to see in my eyes and in, in the contact, for me to listen uh, as they try to sometimes speak in their broken English and to just lean in and to really give them the time. You know, kindness really is a universal language. And and I think in our culture nowadays, this is something we've forgotten. Yeah. I, watch, I look at the current political landscape and it disgusts me, frankly. Mm -hmm. and, and it's because where's the kindness? Where's where's the common decency of just being kind? And we try to teach our kids when they're growing up, you know, you may not like what your brother just did, but your response is kindness. You may not like what's going on around you, but choose to take the high road, be kind. And, and so I, again, I got reminded of that in Rwanda, just even though they couldn't understand me and half the time I couldn't understand them, there was a deep connection. And kindness that. is that connection. It's kindness kindness is, the connection. is the universal language. All right. Another lesson you said you uh, learned, Pastor Bubna, while you were in Rwanda, was we take Westerners, we as Westerners, pardon me, take too much for granted. Talk about why that really was driven <laughs> home in Rwanda. Again, I've traveled a lot, but um, every time I go, it's uh, I'm immediately reminded of things like soft toilet paper that um, uh, matters, uh, drinkable water. Uh, almost every day, multiple times during the day, we'd have brownouts or they'd, they'd lose the power. I'm in a in Kigali, Kigali, one of the nicer hotels in Kigali, and uh, uh, it, it, it half the time AC wasn't on or the power was off. Oof. The things that we just take for granted, and again, I, not for a second am I trying to shame or guilt people. What I what I I felt God was reminding me is, you know, I. I have a, an entitlement mentality too often where I just expect things to be the way they are and rather than a, a really being grateful. Mm -hmm. uh, and in my relatively pampered life, and I would be the first to admit that that's my life, uh, doesn't lend itself to thankfulness. And I tell you, when you're over there and uh, suddenly, you know, the power comes back on and the AC comes back on, your response is, oh, thank you, Jesus. And I thought, well, why don't I live that way here? You know, when I turn on the water in America and I actually am able to drink the water from the tap, you know, not every time, but do I, has there ever been a time where I actually turned the water on and said, God, thank you for this, this that I can get right here from my sink that is drinkable and it's not going to kill me. Yeah. And so I think it's, um, 
it's a again a, a shift in our mentality, shift in our understanding, where we uh, are grateful for what we do have and literally walk in thankfulness. We have so much to be thankful for. All so right. Much. So the four lessons from Rwanda, Pastor Bubna: expect the unexpected, uh, stop worrying, embrace simplicity, simplicity, stuff doesn't make you happy, kindness is a universal language, even if you don't speak the same language, and be grateful. Stop uh, taking so much of your life for granted granted, and complaining about the little things in life. So um, what, as we wrap up the interview, what do you want people to take away from this the week after Easter? Well, you know, I hope that um, they hear my heart, that I, I'm not trying to, again, make people feel guilty for having a nice car uh, when most Rwandans don't even have a car. What I am doing is hoping that we'll see how incredibly blessed we are and then from that be willing to use what God's given to us to bless others. I went there to learn. I also went there to try and give a, what you know a little bit back because God has given me so much. And I think that should be our attitude. As Christ followers, especially American Christ followers, we need to be people who say, God, you've given me so much. I've, I have so much to be grateful for. Now I want to give some back to you and to others. Well, and I love the idea last week uh, you talked about uh, picking up our cross daily as Christians and denying ourselves and that there's an 80-20 rule in a lot of churches that um, 80% of people watch, 20% of the mm -hmm. people actually doing. Uh, and again, if you want to uh, check out Kurt and his books, Epic Grace, and also Mr. and Mrs. How to Thrive in a Perfectly Imperfect Marriage, they can go to your website, which is? Youareperfectlyimperfect.com. Youareperfectlyimperfect.com. Excellent. God bless you, Kurt Bubna. Thanks for joining us again on The Good News. Always a pleasure, Angie. God bless you. Hi, it's Angie. Hey, do you have a lot of things around your house you want to get rid of? My husband wants me to get rid of anything and everything that is in his way. 303-238-JANE. I love ARC. They help people in our community. Every dollar you spend helps and everything you donate helps. 303-238-JANE. They bring a truck right to my house. I actually have them come every well, month or two and it is so helpful to get that place cleaned out because you know what? My husband's a lot nicer to me when I donate things and who better to donate to than ARC? 303-238-JANE and arcthrift.org for a location near you if you just want to drop a few things off and do a little shopping. arcthrift.org, shopping with a purpose. I love Arc. Hey, it is Angie and our friend, author, speaker, Jim Stovall, joining us again to talk about his wisdom for winners column. And today, Jim, you're teaching us about state of mind. Is that right? Yeah, this week's column is State of Mind, and you know, my column goes throughout North America, Europe, Asia, South America, and you know, I, I from time to time like to let everybody around the world know a little bit about America, and you know, we have 50 distinct states, and they all have their own personality, and it's a little like traveling throughout Europe with all the countries, but we have states and each of them have their own uh, identity and personality so we just uh, in this week's column we did a little thing and uh, something fun about each state you know it's interesting you say that because um i i love traveling around our country 
And I love these the different food in New Orleans and up in Maine. You've got the lobsters, and then Oregon. Yeah. You've got the beautiful coast that's so different than the Southern California coast. And there's just so many beautiful places in our country to go. And the different dialects, you know, the ways people speak in different parts of the country. Uh, my relatives in the Northeast, I just love the way that they say "mock." My husband's name "mock." And then, uh, you know, you've got some little snippets. So, what are some of the more interesting uh, things that you because you gave us something special or unique about each? State. Uh, let's talk about a few of those because uh, I was reading through them and they're very interesting. Well, here in my home state of Oklahoma, we have the uh, state capital with a number of working oil wells. It's the only one with working oil wells right on the capital grounds within uh, a few yards of the uh, stairs that go up into the uh, into the capital building. And then uh, one of my favorites is Missouri. It's where the ice cream cone was invented, and it was a hundred years ago during the the World's Fair, and the ice cream vendor ran out of uh, bowls. He didn't have any bowls and spoons anymore, and he tried to borrow one, and none of the other vendors would help him out. But next to him was a waffle uh, vendor, and so this uh, enterprising ice cream salesman said, hold it. If I took one of those and rolled it up just right, it would <laughs> hold ice cream, and voila, we have the ice cream cone. So, you know, and there's something fun about every state, and there's something amazing about everyone's hometown. And I always think it's interesting that, uh, you know, people will travel across the country to come to attractions in your city and my city that uh, we may never go to. And uh, so every once in a while, it's fun to, uh, you know, look online, your own state's Department of Tourism, see what's right there and consider one of these staycations and uh, stay at home and say, we're going to we're going to find out all the cool stuff about being right here in our area. Yeah, the, I agree with you. Those are so fun, those staycations. And uh, I, a couple I found interesting in Massachusetts, the Fig Newton named after Newton, Massachusetts. And then I spent a lot of time in Minnesota. And uh, it says the inventions out of Minnesota include masking and scotch tape, weedy cereal, and the bunt pan, which is something that, you know, I lived there all those years. I had no idea those things were invented there. And also I found it interesting that California's economy is so large that if it were a country, it would rank eighth in the entire world. Yeah, it's amazing. And California is an amazing place itself. I know they have their challenges, and but they also have just so many things from, you know, the ocean to the desert to the mountains. I mean, you know, virtually every terrain in the world and, and every uh, topography, every type of people, everything's available just in, in California alone. I love it, too, that the happy birthday song was the creation of two Louisville sisters in 1893, originally called uh, Good Morning to All out of Kentucky. Oh, and I didn't know Colorado, another state I've spent tons of time, that in 76 it became the only state to turn down the Olympics. So some interesting little snippets. So what's the takeaway of this uh, column about the state of mind? Before you travel around the world, make sure you've uh, explored everything you got at home, and uh, you'll find out, as uh, Dorothy did in The Wizard of Oz, there's no place like home. I love it. Your website, Jim? Jim Stovall, S-T-O-V-A-L-L, jimstovall.com. I think I should get an RV and travel around the country doing the show. Thank you, Jim. Be well. Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at angieaustinradio.com.